and welcome to a special International Women's Day podcast where I speak to rising star Polar Capital's Naomi Weissel about her career, how she went from studying Shakespeare to going into finance and how she copes when people think she is the one in the meeting who's there to make the tea. Hi Naomi, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks Crystal. Hi. Good, it's good to have you. Um, I, I think I wanted to start off by asking you just very simply, how did you get into fund management and, and what was it about the industry that attracted you into that career? I um, I started my first job in finance uh, just before the, the financial crisis, the great financial crisis. And I was actually working part time at a hedge fund whilst doing a master's in Shakespeare. So very uh, left brain, right brain, um, different things going on in my life at that time. Oh, um, and how did that segue into fund management? Well, I... Um, I think I, because, you know, at the time I was, I was young, I didn't have skin in the game. I found it quite exciting, which um, mm. is um, probably not the, um, uh, the, the, the way that the people who are more involved in that time felt. But for me, it was a huge learning opportunity um, and a period of, of volatility that was um, uh, something that I'd, I guess I'd never experienced before um, and was, you know, a, a quick time at which I could um, gain a lot of experience in in a very fast moving market and and that sort of um, gave me the appetite for it but I, I left that to, to go and write my my thesis for this Shakespeare mark uh, masters when I came back looking for a job they'd obviously all, all dried up um, so what was your what was your thesis on just 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 being nosy uh, no not at all um, it was on the, um, the instances of the written word in Shakespeare. So obviously a lot of Shakespeare is, is dialogue, the spoken word, but there are there are letters, there are um, legal documents and, 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 and other sort of times where he writes for people writing rather than as people would speak. And I was looking if, if he writes differently when he's doing that. Interesting. And am I right in saying that you are a keen opera singer as well? <laughs> well, how did you find that one out? Yes. <laughs> my friend is <laughs> In my spare time, uh, where, when I uh, get a moment and um, if there's the opportunity, um, I, I do like to, to sing opera, yes. Fantastic. And, um, you know, not to, uh, not to, 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 to generalise, but you are, you know, very successful at what you do. I was wondering if you could share some of the factors that you think have helped you climb through the ranks in your in your career. Sure. Um, I think, well, I obviously came from a, a background that is atypical. So I, I didn't have a, an economics or a finance a first degree. I did, of course, take the, the, the CFA and train on the job and, and, and learn all about that subsequently. Um, but the, the core of what is needed to, to do this job is is more fundamental than that. It, you, you don't need that, that initial grounding. Um, if you have things such as a, a curious analytical mind, you know, that's the, the basis of it. And uh, the, the ability to have independent thought and to act differently, um, that can come from, from any discipline that you've studied. It's just about the ability to, to act decisively based on thorough investigative analysis um, and um, and uh, you know, intellectual ability, um, and I think also um, the other side of that, you know, as well as um, uh, rigorous research, is emotional control. You know, especially mm. at the moment, we're obviously seeing a very volatile period in markets at the moment, and it's mm -hmm. the um, proverbial sort of greed and fear. Um, but you need to be able to have that objectivity under pressure, um, and that comes from having done that background work beforehand. So. If you go in with a clarity of purpose and well-defined discipline that you can apply consistently, 
Um, and then it's about having that, that patience to hold your nerve, um, even if you've got high conviction positions, um, if you've got a, a long-term mindset, which is what I operate with, uh, invest for the long-term um, in, in an active way, um, then it's, it's putting that into practice. Um, and, and that does take a, a certain character. So interesting. I know that referring to the unprecedented um, invasion of Ukraine that you're speaking about at the minute. I mean, when you say about a certain kind of nerve and, and having a certain kind of character, could you, could you kind of go into what kind of characteristics you think those are? And what kind of advice would you give to maybe younger female fund managers right now who maybe are new to the industry and are trying to navigate, you know, what must be for, for you and people in your career a, a, a very disorientating, stressful time, I would imagine, or, or is it? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I think, um, you know, we're seeing huge moves in markets at the moment and um, that that is, uh, it's awful from a... Um, uh, a market's perspective, but that is is way way down on the list for as compared to what it is from a humanitarian perspective. And um, I've always um, speaking very candidly. There was a time when I I felt a little bit uncomfortable about being in involved in a world that was very capitalistic. But I I thought about that and always wanted to do something that had more of a um, a social capitalist purpose, if I can put it that way. And um, managing a fund that is a, a highly sustainable fund, as I do, that's the way that I've been able to, to marry those two. Um, mm. And it, it is very important to me that when we think about allocating capital with the, uh, in the fund, we're doing that in a way um, that is bettering um, the, um, the, the end uh, lives, goals, uh, innovative abilities of those that we are allocating that capital to. Um, and so in the Russian situation at the moment, it was incredibly important to me that at the moment at which it seemed that there was very sadly no way back uh, in this um, uh, to, to de-escalate the, um, the war in Russia, um, mm. that we had absolutely no economic exposure there. Um, and you know, that is a, a moral decision more than a, a financial or a performance decision. Um, that's something that we, we could not tolerate at all. Um, so in terms of advice to, to other people, mm. um, I think that it's about doing something that that you enjoy and that fulfills you um, and not just something that or falling into something that everybody else seems to be doing. You know, when you're, you're graduating and there are certain tracks that everybody takes, um, think about what you're good at and what makes you feel good um, and, and does some good. And if all three of those coincide, then, you know, that's that's a good place to be. And I'm interested in what you said about a period of time, maybe before you found that balance between marrying the sustainable element of what you focus on and the obviously the naturally capitalistic nature of the industry. Well, was that quite difficult for you when you were younger at the beginning? And, and how did you get through that? Did you have female mentors to talk to? Did you find that your male peers were having the same kind of, I don't know, moral dilemma, would you call it? What, what was that period like? I think there were uh, difficult conversations where I was more um, sustainably or ESG or, or impact-minded in, in a market that wasn't quite ready for that. Um, and... Um, and I, I pushed more for that. And I would argue the investment case, perhaps from a different side. Um, but absolutely, I think having um, mentors or coaches um, and, and asking a lot of questions, um, you know, more and, and as often as you can, um, probing things from different sides. Um, I think that's really the, the most value you can have for an organization, but also the most value that you can get out of an organization 
um, and not being afraid to to do that so kind of trying to ceaselessly acquire that knowledge um, but I guess also knowing when to listen um, because a lot can be learned by doing that listening and, and absorbing which can be a harder skill and then that's I think you know what, what I was saying about perhaps finding my own style and my own way of investing and, and getting comfortable with that so I worked with with different people on different equity desks over the, the 14, 15 years that I've been in the industry and gaining that influence from different people, different mentors and sponsors um, and, and coaches um, that I was able to find. And um, I was also part of the 30% the club, which I was, was lucky enough to be, be part of through um, uh, a former employer and, and Helen Mor Helena Morrissey, who set that up, um, which allowed me to see that you know, women did have a place and, and were being promoted as being able to have a, uh, a significant role um, within the industry. That's fascinating. And on, I mentioned you were, you were talking about your own, the times that you've argued, you know, a, a case. I'm, I'm, I'm interested, was there ever a time maybe in your junior, maybe, you know, formative years as a fund manager where you got a, a kind of a pushback that felt a bit archaic? A bit limiting and and maybe how you overcame that um yeah I, I probably um won't give any specifics but there there sure. certainly were um uh you know people who were um looking at things in a um what i felt to be an outdated way um and i would would come up against that um and uh feel like that was you know a, a sort of roadblock um and that I was you know that was not something I would be willing to compromise on and you know it, you obviously have to have um integrity for for something that you want to work in to to feel good about it um so I think there there is only so much you can do at a given time um but if you're able to have a a voice within a a place that you work um and um, suggest new ideas um, as long as you're you're able to do that even if you're you're, you're not in a position to always overcome that um, I think that that's important. Very wise words and when you look back at when you started in the industry compared to now I mean is is it more or less of a welcoming industry for women in in your view? I think it it is uh, more welcoming and um, you do see a more representation but but it it is changing gradually it's definitely not something that has um, completely uh, been solved by any stretch. Um, it, it's definitely taking time um, for, for attitudes to change, for seniority to, to sort of move up that pyramid, um, for people to, uh, to accept that certain roles uh, or, or certain people have the aptitude for certain roles. Um, all of that is, is definitely still very much a work in progress. So um, it's it's certainly um, a, a battle that I still face probably daily of um, certain people um, not expecting this role to be fulfilled by a woman or uh, not expected it to be fulfilled by um, uh, a, a woman of of my age or who who looks like I do or all of these things are, are still very much prevalent within the industry. And to what level of what I'm trying to ask is how subtle or direct are these, you know, let's just say negative assumptions uh, expressed? You know, are you ever shocked at how brazen it is or is it a little bit more 
uh, is it subtler than it used to be? And has it changed in the way that it's expressed, if, if that makes sense? I don't think there is the same sort of um, outright um, machoism, if I can call it that, within the, the work mm -hmm. environment in offices, you know, now that we're, we're back in offices, that that sort of um, gentleman's club behaviour uh, and, and women on the outside is not there. You know, that, that has changed. Um, it's more um, a, a case of mistaken identity. So um, if I, I walk into a meeting room um, with uh, a group of men, um, I might be assumed to be the one who's making the tea um, of that party and um, yep. <laughs> not be expected to be in the, the role that I'm in. Um, and that happens relatively often. Um, and so you, you just have to work that little bit harder to, to earn the respect or to have people see you automatically in the role that would be assumed um, where you were a different gender. I, I shouldn't be taken aback by that, but I am that, that you, you, you regularly get mistaken for the person that makes the tea. And how, <laughs> what, are your per, what are your personal coping strategies with that? That must be, that takes its toll, I think, over time you know, without you realizing it. And so how, how do you think you, you know, for better word, plow on with that in mind? Yeah, I think my coping strategies or my, um, my way of confronting that has probably changed as I've got a bit older. I think to start off with, I, I, I accepted that as, as a norm and would just perform in a meeting and, and then sort of show them if you like. Um, mm. Now uh, I have the confidence and the uh, the experience to take that a little bit more head on um, and and don't really accept that sort of um, you know, if I see that anybody uh, being being patronised in that way or um, or overlooked for opportunities um, then I do think that that needs to be confronted um, and and handled um, rather than somebody sitting quietly and and waiting because. I think that is perhaps a more female characteristic, although I don't necessarily like to gender characteristics mm. that, that women don't speak up as much. Um, and I think we we do need to um, help each other out as women within the workplace. And if we if we see these things and, and we can um, support them and recognize them and uh, and address them um, and, and stop them from happening again, that's what we need to do. And it's 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 funny that you say your 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 methods have changed, you know, as you've gone throughout your career, as you've grown older, and it, it's all about your you know your confidence in your record in yourself. I'd be interested to know now, you know, what tips would you give maybe to someone, you know, a woman who's new to the industry, who you know who hasn't um, proven herself, if you will, and and is maybe lacking a bit of confidence. What would you say? to a woman in that situation, you know, of, of, of how to, to cope with all these assumptions that, you know, you've mentioned and these situations? Um, I, I hope that there would be um, systems in place within organizations. Um, like increasingly we're seeing um, strong women's networks um, where there's a place to, to speak to other women uh, about anything that the, they, they might be feeling or, or share something that they would like to see within the organization. Um, and that's a, a strong source of support um, or, or sort of pairing systems where there is um, something where they, they can feel that there is uh, an ability to, to have that person within the organization who is there to back them up. 
Um, so I think it re is really about the, the people, you know, what the pandemic has done is, is left a lot of people, particularly the younger people at home, feeling isolated. Um, if there is a, the ability to um, connect and have that, that social connection so that they can feel that they are um, represented and recognized and, and ultimately, I guess, valued within that organization um, to, the, to the level of credit and, and work that they're doing, um, regardless of, of gender or, or anything else, um, then, then it comes down to, to the culture, which is absolutely key. Um, and I think, you know, strong cultures, um, strong teams are where you get strong performance. Kind of going back a little bit to the idea of assumptions um, around, around female fund managers within, within the industry, what I'm really interested and uh, one which you have different conversations depending on who you're speaking to is this kind of how that I think generally we seem to hypothesize that female fund managers take less risks than male managers but while sort of and and women are so and it, depending on who you speak to it's sort of described as either a negative or a positive a lot of the time kind of a negative um while but at the same time paradoxically in a sense I sometimes and this could be a completely I know it's relative to your own experiences but at the same time female managers can be expected to follow less extreme investment styles I'm just wondering is this something that you know you have personally experienced yourself and just what your your view on that is I think it, it's a very interesting question um I've been part of a fund management team in a previous role that that took a lot of risk um and um that I I, I was happy with that it was more about the the confidence in the underlying investments within that fund in the amount of of risk we were taking at the overall fund level but i think what i would say is that within the 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 decision making structure within that team it was perhaps the um uh, one of the the men who who was more comfortable with the risk and and you know that that is one example it's not a a scientific study what i i think you know from um from sort of um, behavioral finance or from characteristics of male and females, what kind of chimes is that women do tend to be the ones who um, are, are, the, are known as, as listeners and of people who take a little bit longer to, to come to decisions. Um, and that, 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 that is true of myself. So speaking very personally, mm. I do like to, to have a lot of information and um, and go over details before I, I make final decisions. And, and part of fund management is you have to get comfortable making decisions on perhaps 80% rather than 100% of the information um, and, and, and taking those risks. Um, so I think that that is maybe part of it, that, that women um, are a little a little more, more cautious. I would say that is true. But I think the other side of it, again, kind of speaking behaviorally, is that within an office, within various office environments that I work within, having a woman or several women on your team tends to get the, the team to, to share ideas and have that investment debate more. And that can make you make better decisions. Um, whether that makes you risk averse, I don't know, um, but it does make you, it stimulates um, a better knowledge sharing and, and enhances that uh, cross cross currents of, of conversation across the team um, and you know that may just curb your enthusiasm for taking that extra bit of risk so indirectly 
perhaps that is a, a, a strong function of having women fund managers on the team as well. That's really, really interesting. And one, one last thing before, before uh, I, I, I let you go. Um, as regard, when it comes to, you know, the issue of attracting female fund managers, but also retaining them, um, you know, it is true to say that there's no point attracting more female fund managers if you can't retain them. What in your mind are the things that you would like to see um, change or improve um, to, to kind of, to mitigate against, um, to improve the retention, you know, of female fund managers within the industry? What could help? I think there are probably two uh, sort of large topics and, the, and then there are uh, lots of sort of sub things that would come up, uh, underneath those. But the, the two big things are, are flexibility. You, you lose a lot of people around the, the childbearing years because it's very difficult to, to balance what is quite a demanding job uh, with demands at home um, and being able to support women through that um, and perhaps ways of working during the pandemic may be able to, to assist with this in terms of being able to work from home a little bit more and, and change hours. Um, but, but that's really a, a critical junction at which many women are, are lost. Um, and there would be a number of enabling factors to, to help retain women through that um, if companies really wanted to, to keep that talent. And then the other part of it um, is, uh, is giving them that progression and that recognition. So Many women um, don't see the same opportunities that are offered to equivalent male colleagues um, and therefore they, they depart. Um, and perhaps if um, they looked into each specific example, the, the company would have reasons. Um, but there are, you know, as we, we know from publicly available material, there are, are pay gaps um, and there are also job gaps. Um, and women become disheartened and, and demotivated and they look for opportunities elsewhere. Interesting. So on the topic of more flexibility and more money, uh, very, very important points. Um, I think we can we can we can leave it there. I just want to say Naomi Wastel, thank you very much for your time.